From NPR and WBEZ Chicago, this is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the NPR News Quiz. Hey, wise men, try these gifts of the Magi. Gold, frankincense, and Curtis. That's me, Bill Curtis. And here is your host, celebrating Christmas in the tradition of his ancestors by eating at a Chinese restaurant. Peter Sago. Thank you, Bill. Uh, So we've made it to the end of another year. And while that doesn't usually qualify as an accomplishment, we feel like this time we earned a medal. Another one. We look forward to the day when we can once again celebrate the end of a year the normal way with regret. Our journey through 2021 was made easier by getting to talk to some really wonderful people. For example, actor and comedian Bowen Yang. Here's an extended version of our visit with Bowen, who joined us in September. Peter introduced him by noting he had been voted most likely to appear on SNL in high school. Thank you so much. I feel like I would have violated some labor law if I had been working at SNL as a teenager, but... (laughs) I would have loved to. When I heard that, I just immediately assumed that you were an extremely popular and funny kid in high school, right? No. No? No. That was just just my high school's way of using like florid language in terms of like the superlatives. Because instead of being like prettiest person, it would be like most likely to be on the cover of Vogue or something. That's what I got, but (laughs) it didn't pan out. No. Oh, that's 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 what Roy got. Roy. Um, but I I uh yeah, that, that was just that was just the high school's way of making it seem like like an embellished kind of thing. Did you did you have ambitions to be an entertainer uh at that time? Or is that what you were thinking for yourself? I kinda of, I re- I repressed it. I um Harry will understand. It was it was just like an immigrant parent sort of thing where they were like, Don't it's you're not it's there's there's no reason for you to do that. And so I, and I, and I sort of really, what did they want you to do? What do they want me to be anything, but, and so, and so um, it was an active conversation. And then the first person who actually encouraged me to go in that direction was my dental hygienist. Oh yeah. (laughs) Wait a minute. Okay. Wait, how did that go? When I was in the chair and she was so sweet and nice and she, and, and then I, and she continued to be my hygienist for years, but she, um, she just, she just asked me, in a very disarming way, what do you want to be with you? <laughs> yeah, and she, <laughs> she got it. I, I don't suppose I don't suppose you've heard from her in the last few years when you've become very successful. I haven't. I would love for her to reach out. I forgot her name too. I'm terrible. Clarice. They're mostly named Clarice. Clarice. <laughs> Clarice. Uh, you were you were um, first a writer for Saturday Night Live, which I did not know. When you were a writer, I mean, did you ever have to do those sketches that you're writing for the big celebrity guests? And was ever that intimidating to like writing for whomever the big star was that particular week? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, constantly, especially in that first year. Uh, have, have you ever pitched something to a celebrity and they're like, no, absolutely not. Never going to do that. Um, they let you down easy. No one's ever like shut something down outright. I mean, the word maybe gets thrown around constantly at that place. <laughs> really? As a, as a way of just pounding you with the soft poultice of a, of a rejection. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. My favorite thing that you've done on the show and there's been a lot, but was you playing the iceberg that sank the Titanic. 
<laughs> it's, did you write that too, or was that written for you? I, I co-wrote it, but it was Anna Dresden's idea. She's one of the head writers. She texted me back in January of, of 2021 saying, hey, it's, it's months away, but maybe during the Titanic anniversary, we, you come on update as the iceberg and you're, and you're just very incensed. And I was like, I don't know, what does that even look like? And it was one, it was one of those things where we were like, this has no reason to succeed. No one's, (laughs) no one who makes decisions here will ever agree to let this go on TV because it's just, it's just ridiculous. For some reason it slipped through cracks and, and I'm very grateful it did. Are you like worried that you're going to be doing the iceberg for like the rest of your career on Saturday Night Live? I'm not worried about it. I was a little annoyed in the summer, in the beginning of the summer, uh, especially around Pride Month when a lot of like cute guys would come up to me and then they'd be like, isn't it too hot for you to be outside? And I'd be like, oh, I thought you were coming. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no. Oh, how heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it may well be that your uh, iceberg, the Titanic iceberg, is the most popular character for like the hoi polloi. But for sophisticates like myself, mm-hmm. my favorite sketch has to be the Sarah Lee Instagram account sketch. Oh, that's <gasps> great. Yeah. Hey, wow. Peter, you like that one? That's great. I thought that was the funniest thing I've ever seen. Oh, thank you. And for people who don't know, the sketch is that the the guy who's handling, the young guy who's handling the Instagram account for Sarah Lee is posting these insanely sexual things from his own life as Sarah Lee. Um, so did Sarah funny. Lee enjoy that sketch? <laughs> so unfortunately, one of what happened was because Harry Styles was the host and he has a very particularly spirited following, a bunch of his fans commented on the Sarah Lee, on the actual Sarah Lee Instagram, just the filthiest lines from the step. Oh, oh wait, so I, I need to say, so Harry Styles was the guest host. He was the playing the, the guy who was putting the stuff on the Instagram. And this stuff was, can you give me an example of the kind of things he was supposedly putting on the Sarah Lee Instagrams? It would be like, wreck me, daddy. I'm really depressed after this threesome. Why do I feel rejected? Even though I, you know, even, even though I'm like, whatever, like I'm not present when I'm, when I'm having sex, like all these things. But then with, so, so what happened with Sarah Lee was Harry Styles' fans were posting all these quotes and the, uh, from, from, from the sketch on the actual Sarah Lee Instagram. And then Sarah Lee started to delete. I understand why they did this. They started to delete a lot of these comments and then people noticed that. And then they they shut, they shut locked the account down. No one could comment on anything. So it seemed like the initial response was, no, what's happening? I, I, some poor person woke up Sunday morning and was like, what? And then, and then it, it has a nice ending to it because they sent a whole, ba- a whole basket full of their artisanal bread. That's, that's, that's the, the good that's stuff. The, um, that's the stuff in the gift that's basket. That's the good yeah. stuff. Yes, and so they sent that, and then, um, and then they've had they, uh, we've had a lovely relationship. So. Uh, and final question: Tell me about your Emmy shoes. Oh yeah, happy to. They were um, metallic heels, six inch heels, pl- uh, four inch, two inch platforms. Um, but wait, was the question why did I wear them? Yes. Did I, yeah. <laughs> because because they looked nice. Okay. The only flack I got from like you know sartorially minded people online was the pants should have been flared the cut oh, of the pants wasn't right I'm like okay oh. thank you for the now I thought you looked lovely and your legs were quite shapely thank you thank you Peter <laughs> well Bo and Yang we're having too much fun but we have work to do we've asked you here to play a game we're calling Monday through Friday Night Live <laughs> oh, that was, oh that's amazing so 
you appear live on Saturday night in the season. So we were wondering what you knew about the shows that go live on weeknights, mainly local news. So uh. we're going to ask you three questions about local news broadcasts. If you get two out of three right, of course, you're going to win our prize for a listener. They get the voice of anyone they might choose in our show. Bill, who is Bo and Yang playing for? Michelle Seymour of Seattle, Washington. All right. Ready to do this? Yes. Um, apologies in advance, Michelle. <laughs> now, the first question is, local news has been wild for a while. Back in 1977, a British newsman had to endure what while interviewing a colorful local? Was it A, being served with divorce papers live on camera, B, the man seizing his chest, having a heart attack and collapsing into his arms, or C, a ferret clamping onto his finger and refusing to let go? The ferret feels like a Monty Python sketch. I don't know. Um, <laughs> th that sounds right. Yes, it was, of course, the ferret. Uh, presenter Richard Whiteley tried to pry this ferret off his finger for a full 30 seconds, which is a long time when there's a ferret clamped to your finger. And he's trying to, she's going to get it off me. And his owner is sitting there, the ferret's owner, that is, saying, oh, he's just playing with you. <laughs> All right. Second question. Even the Weather Channel can get into trouble when it goes live, as when which of these things happened? A, a correspondent's hat blew off and he walked off to find it, leading to a solid minute of television showing just a tree. <laughs> B, they tried to show the implosion of the Georgia Dome. And an Atlanta City bus pulled in front of their camera for the exact 10 seconds during which the building fell down. Or C, a report from a rare live sudden rainstorm in Albuquerque was ruined when the camera panned up and captured the spraying garden hose. I mean, the Georgia Dome one sounds too specific for it not to be true. Yes, that's what happened. And if you watch the video, which is, of course, online, it plays like a magic trick. There's a dome. Now there's a bus. Oh, there's no dome. It's amazing. <laughs> All right. Last question. Uh, in 2006, viewers of the BBC witnessed one of the strangest live interviews ever. What happened? A, the guest had just come into the station for a job interview, was mistaken as the guy there for a TV interview, was put on camera and just went with it. <laughs> B, an anchor in her first day in the job kept pronouncing BBC as Bubba Ka. <laughs> or C, when every microphone on the set but one broke, the anchor had to interview the Danish foreign minister while sitting in his lap. <gasps> oh, it's, I think I've seen C actually happen. So let's go with C. You've seen a man interview a significant foreign politician while sitting in his lap? Wait, okay, then maybe not. <laughs> I, either, if you either, had, either, I would be very interested to hear all about it. Okay. Oh, gosh. I mean, now I have to choose. I'll say A. Yes, it was A. <laughs> he was just this computer technician who was coming in to interview for an IT job at the studios, and they were like, they, they mistook him uh, for somebody else, and he sat there and answered questions about the future of digital music really gamely <laughs> for a while. And weirdly, even though he did this, they didn't give him the job. Ah. <laughs> That's rough. I know. Bill, how did Bo and Yang do in our quiz? Boam, you got three right. That is rare and terrific. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Bowen Yang is an Emmy-nominated writer and performer on Saturday Night Live. You can also see him as Edmund in Aquafina is Nora from Queens. New episodes air Wednesdays on Comedy Central. Bowen Yang, you are so much fun, and we are so grateful you stopped by and talked to us. Thank you so much. Thank you, Brian. I really appreciate it. Take care.
When we come back, a brand new Christmas-themed Bluff the Listener game and skier Lindsey Vaughn pulls Santa's sleigh down a giant slalom course. We'll be back in a minute with more Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me from NPR. From NPR and WBEZ Chicago, this is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the NPR News Quiz. I'm Bill Curtis, and here is your host who wants you to know that's not an ironically ugly Christmas sweater. It's just his regular everyday sweater. It's Peter Sagal. Thank you, Bill. As that symbol of the Christmas spirit, Ebenezer Scrooge once said, keep Christmas in your own way and let me keep it in mine. God bless us. Everyone. We're keeping Christmas in our way by bringing you a brand new holiday themed Bluff the Listener game. Here's Tom Bodette, Faith Saley, and Mo Rocca, two of whom will shortly be lying through their teeth for Christmas. Hi, welcome to Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Hey, this is Jeff Hatcher from Greensboro, North Carolina. Jeff Hatcher? I happen to have a good friend by that name. What do you do there in North Carolina? I'm an infectious disease physician and a chief medical officer in our health system. So you haven't had a lot to do for the last couple of years. How have you been spending all your spare time? Uh, cycling, whitewater kayaking, and spending good time with my family. I, I am amazed you answered that seriously. I was being sarcastic. I assumed you haven't had any free time since early 2020. Well, you have to have some balance. I guess you do. Well, we are glad to have you in the show. You're going to play our game in which you have to tell truth from fiction. Bill, what is the topic? Holiday traditions of the stars. Ah, holiday traditions. We know them as making cookies with Grandma, watching Hallmark movies, and playing How Much Eggnog Has Uncle Jerry Really Had? But never mind us, what do the rich and famous do? This week we heard about a holiday tradition from the upper crust. Our panelists are going to tell you about it. Pick the one who's telling the truth, and you'll win our prize. The voice of your choice on your voicemail. Ready to play? Yes, sir. All right. Let's first hear from Mo Rocca. Well, they didn't include this in the crown. According to royal expert Ingrid Seward, Queen Elizabeth commands each of the guests who arrive at Sandringham Castle for the annual royal Christmas feast to weigh themselves when they arrive and throughout their stay using a set of antique scales. Supposedly, this is all to make sure guests are being well-fed, so she's just being, you know, a good host. After the first weigh-in, the royals enjoy turkey with all the trimmings. Then it's a walk around the grounds of the estate in order to make room for a lavish afternoon tea, complete with a gargantuan iced cake, followed by a candlelit dinner. It's not clear if there's a prize for the day's biggest gainer, beyond a bag of corgi-themed swag. But a word of caution, an overloaded royal, much like a truck, can be difficult to control. It's rumored that Sir Winston Wideload Churchill was denied clearance at Sandringham and forced to turn back. And former big rigs like George IV and Queen Anne, who really was as big as a house, jackknifed on the way to the castle's vomitorium. And sorry, not sorry, for body shaming the dead. The queen weighs all her guests for her Christmas feast. That's from Mo. Your next story of a famous festivity comes from Faith Saley. If you receive an invitation to Dwayne Johnson's Christmas soiree, you'd better be prepared to smell what The Rock is cooking. 
literally. For those who know Johnson as the guy who's not Vin Diesel in The Fast and Furious, or as Maui in the Disney movie Moana, and you're welcome for me getting that song in your head, for those folks, let's remember that Johnson began his career as a professional wrestler known as The Rock, whose catchphrase was, Can you smell what The Rock is cooking? He's turned that intimidating metaphorical speech into a Christmas Eve tradition. For the past 17 years, guests welcome to his Florida mansion must don an elf cap that firmly covers their eyes. They have to use their noses to determine what Johnson is whipping up, winning points for every specific ingredient they can detect. Is it his croquembouche with split vanilla bean? His figgy pudding with persimmon? The guest who guesses the most correct ingredients gets to cradle Johnson in a live nativity crush in which The Rock plays a shirtless baby Jesus with lots of tattoos. The Rock says, can you smell what The Rock is cooking? And means it. Your last story of a talked about tradition comes from Tom Bodette. Man of the Year Elon Musk is famous for his insensitive and often destructive public comments which have crashed markets and ended careers. Some would say he's a nasty piece of work who enjoys hurting people, but that's not it. I'm not mean, claimed Mr. Musk. I just don't think about other people. At all. Then, in December of 2018, Elon Musk did some random thing that made someone else happy completely by accident. He will not disclose what it was, but vividly recalls receiving the note, Dear Mr. Musk, you have made me very happy. Thank you, and Merry Christmas. It was weird, said Musk. I'd never had this happen before, and I was confused. Then I had an epiphany. Just because something I do makes someone happy doesn't mean it's wrong. (laughs) Every Christmas since, Elon Musk gathers his ex-wives, their lawyers, and personal assistants, and they brainstorm what Elon's good deed should be that year. It started small, dropping a few coins in the Salvation Army bucket. The next year, he flew commercial, once. Not worth it, he reported. Last year, he caught a worker at his gigafactory leaving five minutes early and instead of firing him on the spot, gave him two weeks' notice. That was really nice of me, he said. What will it be this year? Dishing soup for the homeless? Spearing trash in the highway median? I don't know, said Musk, but I'm starting to get addicted to this feeling and that worries me. So I may have to crash Bitcoin or a rocket or something to clear my head afterwards. All right, here are your choices. From Morocco, it's that the Queen of England weighs all of her guests on antique scales before the Christmas feast. From Faith Saley, Dwayne Johnson asks his guests if they can smell what the rock is cooking. And from Tom Bodet, Elon Musk, just for one day of the year, tries to do something nice. Which of these is the real story? I think I like what uh, Mo is cooking. I'm going to go with Mo on this. <laughs> I see, but with a nice reference to uh, to Faith, which I appreciate. I'm sure she does too. Mm-hmm. So your choice is a Mo's story of how the Queen of England weighs all of her guests before the Christmas feast. Well, we spoke to an expert on this particular Christmas tradition. The Queen asks each of her guests to be weighed on a set of antique scales when they arrive at Sandringham for Christmas. And again, when they leave. That was Kristen Meinzer, royal watcher and author of When Meghan Met Harry, talking about the grand tradition of weighing the guests at Sandringham Castle. (laughs) Congratulations. You got it right. You have earned your weight in a voicemail from anybody you like on our show. Thank you so much for playing and Merry Christmas. My head is filled with love. 
last night's memories I'm holding back the tears Gotta keep my hands on the wheel My mind on the road Me and this old truck Got a heavy load Last year at this time, Peter took a few weeks off for the birth of his son, Elliot. But I'm sure in his heart, he'd rather have been with us when guest host Maz Jumrani got to talk to Olympic skier Lindsey Vaughn. So, Lindsey, a couple of questions. I've I've been skiing my whole life, and I've never gotten that good. <laughs> now, you started <laughs> at a young age. So do you remember when you were like, wow, I'm good at this, and I could be the world champ? <laughs> um it wasn't until I was a bit older. I actually was really slow when I was a kid. My coach actually made fun of me and called me a turtle. But uh, <laughs> it took a while for sure. I, I wouldn't say that I uh, knew that I was going to be anything uh, good until I was probably 13 or 14 years old. So when you realized you're going to be good, did you call that coach and be like, yo, it's turtle. What's up, dude? <laughs> <laughs> ironically he was my dad's coach as well uh he's from austria so he kind of played it like he knew that i was gonna be that good he just like said it to kind of antagonize me so oh tough love yes yeah yeah so he turned around he's like i was trying to push her the whole way i knew she was gonna be very much champion <laughs> yeah i always knew i always knew you would win <laughs> did your coach ever set up like a a, a fake rivalry with your dad was he like, oh yeah, your your father could, he couldn't do this when he no, was No, it would age. be like you all, I knew you would beat your father if you would face your father. You would for sure beat your father. Like, like, <laughs> I love that everyone just went all well, in on this. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Without, <laughs> but, and but, and but, we've just agreed that that's what it is. It sounded similar. I would say we're all not very good, but um, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I watched your documentary on HBO, which I highly recommend. I always say you're inspired by greatness and mediocrity. So when I watch you go down that hill, I'm like, oh, I'm going to go do that. And then, and then I get on the hill. I'm like, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> um, but there's times when you're going down. What, what was the fastest you've ever gone? Like 80 something? Yeah. I mean, the fastest I've ever been clocked was 84. But I would imagine it's somewhere a little bit above that. Holy moly. I honestly so now- don't think I've ever even been clocked going 84 in my car. <laughs> 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 I'm like, I have, I have a Prius. <laughs> but no. So here's my I – got, I got two questions about going 84 miles an hour. First of all – I've taken falls on ski slopes going like 30 miles an hour. And as I'm falling, I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> you know, you're going 84 and you're trying to win. What's going through your mind when yeah. you've taken a fall at a high speed? Um, you try to be like Gumby. You know, you see the fence coming. And I always think like, I got this, I got this, I got this. And then I don't got it. And I'm literally <sighs> doing the splits and, you know, tangled in the fence like a fish. But yeah, you just try to go limp because the more you tense up, the more likely it is you're going to pull something or break something. But it's not fun. I can tell you that it's really not fun. Um, I've, I always have the analogy that skiing is like, you know, when you're going fast down the highway, you know, stick your head out the window. That's kind of how it feels when you're skiing. But then if you crash, it's just like you're driving down the highway and then you jump out of the car. Oh, my God. And then you slide for like half a mile, but you just got to go Gumby. You got to be like Pee Wee Herman. You got to do 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 didn't your dad try to push you to uh, do other sports? I mean, I tried a lot of other sports, and I have to say I was absolutely terrible at all of them. Um, I played soccer, and I my only goal was against my own team. Um, 
I tried uh, figure <laughs> skating and I like the outfits a lot, but um, my dad pulled me out of that after about a month. Tennis, huge failure. Um, gymnastics, I was too tall since I was like nine years old. So skiing was definitely where I had some talent. It's funny because in a way, it's like you, you failed your way to a gold medal. You failed at everything <laughs> else and you're like, I'm just going to kill it at skiing. Correct. Exactly. I paid Lindsay you- and I I was just gonna say Lindsay and I basically have the exact same trajectory with sports, except for I never got to the part where I was a gold medalist in skiing. I sucked at one after another, after another, and then also skiing. Now Lindsay, your your new show on Amazon, The Pack. Okay, so I watched I just got a dog. This is my first time getting a dog. Whoa, and, and I just got so dog did you get? we got a golden doodle. Her name is Yasu, and she's adorable. Oh, that's cute. Now, you got Lucy. Lucy's adorable as well. So first of all, the question is, is this a show you wanted to do? You were just looking for an excuse to hang out with Lucy. I mean, it was kind of a great excuse to hang out with Lucy, but I was looking for kind of the next career move after skiing, and I was like, I get to travel the world with my dog and 12 other dogs. I was like, that to me is the best case scenario. So, how's it been filming with dogs? Is there is there any trouble on set behind the scenes? Um, <laughs> the dogs were the best part of the show. I mean, who doesn't want to watch a labradoodle running in slow motion with like rainbow highlights? <laughs> <laughs> well, Lindsay Vaughn, we've asked you here today to play a game we're calling Go Vaughn Go. <laughs> You're used to hearing people yell Vaughn Go. But what do you know about Van Gogh? <laughs> oh, okay. As in Vincent Van Gogh. Answer two out of three questions correctly about the Dutch painter, and you'll win a prize for one of our listeners, the voice of their choice on their voicemail. Bill, who is Lindsey Vaughn playing for? Andrew Campbell of Richmond, Virginia. All right, Lindsey, here's right. your first question. After Vincent Van Gogh famously cut off his own ear, he painted a portrait of the doctor who treated him and gave the painting to the doctor as a thank you. What did the doctor do with it? A, he printed his name on it, then hung it up on a pole outside his offices like a sign. B, he used it to repair his chicken coop. C, he hung it up in his examination room as a warning to patients to take better care of themselves. I mean, all of these sound like not logical options they're not we'll see now you're thinking logical right you're thinking a lot now this show is not necessarily a logical show i mean i don't think it's the chicken coop but i I, it could be number one but i don't know i'm gonna go with number three the truth is it was the chicken coop no way wow this guy hated the painting so much that he used it to repair his chicken coop uh now the painting today is valued at 50 million dollars that's insane. Wow. Wait, you mean they reclaimed the painting from the chicken coop? Or you, or, or it would have been valued at 50 Yeah, how does that work? I think the, some of the paint isn't paint. I think it's just chicken poop. There you go. Well, it's okay. just the dead chicken that you hang on your wall. <laughs> so the so, name of the game is Don't Think Logically. There you go, Lindsay. You okay, got it right. right. You go down a hill at 80 miles an hour. You think that's logical? That's not logical. <laughs> correct. correct. All right. Here's your next question. You still got a chance. You get two of these, this person wins. So. The oldest woman who ever lived, who died in 1997 at the age of 122 years old, lived long enough that she actually met Vincent Van Gogh. It's a moment that she remembered her whole life. Why? A, because she couldn't get over how ugly he was. 
B, because he offered her his other ear saying, I feel lopsided with just one. (laughs) Or C, because she posed for him, but in the finished painting, there was a guitar on the chair instead of her. (laughs) I mean, I think maybe number one. You're getting good at this. You're right. (laughs) Yes. She says it's a moment she remembered her whole life. Because she couldn't get over how ugly he was. <laughs> All right. You're one out of two. Here's your last question, Lindsay Vaughn. Though most of Van Gogh's art is worth well into the millions of dollars, bargain hunters can still own a piece of history for the fraction of the price, including which of these which recently sold at auction? A, for $80,000, a napkin on which Van Gogh doodled a duck with a mustache. B, For $240,000, a letter between Van Gogh and Gauguin describing their brothel visits. Or C, for $195,000, a VIP, quote, bedroom in Arliss experience where you get to stay in the actual room from the famous painting and leave with a copy of the painting with yourself added into it. Maz, it's Arl. (laughs) Arl. (laughs) Well, let's just go with the brothel letter. Because that seems the most interesting. You are right, Lizzie Vaughn. You're a yeah. champion. Look at you. He paid money for the brothel, and now we pay to get the letter for $240,000. Bill, how did Lindsay Vaughn do in our game? You know, she won a gold medal there and here. <laughs> so congratulations, Lindsay. Thank you. <laughs> Lindsay Vaughn is a world champion skier and the host of Amazon's The Pack, which you can stream now on Amazon Prime Video. Lindsay Vaughn, thank you so much for joining us on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Thank you, guys. Really appreciate it. Bye, Lindsay. Happy holidays, Lindsay. When we come back, tell Santa you weren't naughty or nice. Tell him you persisted and served face. We've got Senator Elizabeth Warren and Simone from RuPaul's Drag Race. That's in a minute from Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me from NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor BetterHelp, the online counseling service dedicated to connecting you with a licensed counselor to help you overcome whatever stands in the way of your happiness. Fill out a questionnaire and get matched with a professional tailored to your needs. And if you aren't satisfied with your counselor, you can request a new one at any time, free of charge. Visit BetterHelp.com wait to get 10% off your first month. Get the help you deserve with BetterHelp. From NPR and WBEZ Chicago, this is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the NPR News Quiz. I'm Bill Curtis, and here is your host, for whom the holidays are nothing special, because he eats figgy pudding all year, Peter Sago. Thank you, Bill. So we've been celebrating the only way we know how, by remembering good times with family and friends and famous people who talked to us, because they had something to promote. For example, Senator Elizabeth Warren wrote a book that came out this past spring. So she came on with guest host Maz Jabrani, who wasn't afraid to ask those hard-hitting questions. This is your chance to come clean. What's up with the HBO show Ballers and You? What's going on? (laughs) Are you kidding? Have you ever seen The Rock without his shirt on? (laughs) Enough said. Well, as you watch, uh, Senator Warren, do you ever think to yourself, you know what? When I run in 2028, I might call The Rock up and have him be my vice president. Oh, my God. Now, that's a thought. (laughs) 
(laughs) (laughs) Telling you, we're here to help you out because we know, by the way, that you're known for having plans because throughout the, yes, you always said, I got a plan. I got a plan. First question, did you have a plan or were you just saying, I got a plan and then you're going to get to it later? (laughs) I really did have a plan. And in this new book I wrote, Persist, I talk about the fact that I had 71 juicy, fabulous, detailed plans and how the plans and the personal weave together and they get me up in the morning and into the fight. And I hope they get a whole lot more people into the fight too. Let me ask you a question. The book, the title Persist comes from Mitch McConnell trying to insult you by Mm -hmm. saying that you persist. Yep. Uh, How'd that work out for you? <laughs> nice. I like that. Slam. <laughs> I got I got two questions for you. Has anyone else ever tried to insult you with a positive word? And what were those <laughs> other words? Gee, I'm running through what Michael Bloomberg said to me. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, no, not that I can think of. I'm sure it's happened. <laughs> somebody must have somebody must have called you smart at some point, thinking there, that, yeah. that was an oh, insult. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that, oh, I actually it's funny yeah. you'd mention that one. Yeah, it sounds like someone who prepared. Yeah, and you're like, thank you, I did. Yeah. <laughs> did the homework, huh? Yeah. Now, this is another thing you talk about in the book. When you were on the campaign trail, you became famous for taking hours and hours of selfies. What's a pointer you can give us on taking selfies that we should all remember the next time we do one? It's a moment of great intimacy. And it really is. I mean that. But it also is a chance for people to just say the thing that mattered to them, that They wanted to tell somebody who was running for president of the United States. Wow. That's amazing. So you're meeting all these people. You're on the campaign trail. What was your favorite regional food? And what was one (laughs) where you're like, I'm happy I don't have to be on the campaign trail? Uh, You can never say the second one, right? (laughs) Everything is great everywhere. Um, I will say about campaigning, dang, I ate a lot of cold food. Uh, because somebody would grab it for you while you're doing the, the the town hall. And three and a half hours later, when the selfie's done, I'm telling you, there's a lot of food that does not travel well. Uh, it has a uh, gelatinous lasagna. Yeah, exactly. Like and it, it has, it's yeah. hardened, how the cheese hardens up. Yeah. I have broken exactly. plastic forks. <laughs> trying, to, trying to eat uh, lasagna that has cooled off enough. Yeah. Uh, and of course, you know, all the ice in your iced tea has melted. So now it's just lukewarm, light brown stuff. Sounds really glamorous. <laughs> you you really are, are selling this uh, presidential thing. <laughs> I'm telling you. Yeah, exactly. Don't miss it. Well, Senator Warren, we've enjoyed talking to you, but we've asked you here to play a game we're calling... Senator Warren, how about... Warren Peace. Yes. Okay. Yes, that pun was a disaster, just like <laughs> here, Buzakov and Helen Kurigana's marriage. But we couldn't resist. So we're going to ask you three questions about Leo Tolstoy's War and Peace. Answer two out of three questions right, and you'll win our prize for one of our listeners. Bill, who is Senator Warren playing for? Trisha Lang of Austin, Texas. All right. Here is your first question. At over half a million words, War and Peace is the go-to reference for the longest book ever written. 
But which of these actually contains even more words? Was it A, Tolstoy's other classic, Anna Karenina, B, the strategy guide for the 2010 role-playing video game Fallout New Vegas, <laughs> or C, the fourth Fifty Shades of Grey book, 5,000 More Shades of Grey? <laughs> Oh, gosh, I was hoping it was the fourth Fifty Shades of Grey, <laughs> but I'm afraid it's probably not. So I'm going to go with the second one. B, yes, you are right. The yes. strategy guide for the 2010 role-playing video game Fallout New Vegas. Nicely done. Uh, one for okay, one. Okay, Tricia, I'm, I'm going to do this. You got okay. it. Here we go. Here's your next question. Former RNC chairman Michael Steele, back when he was in a debate against other candidates for the post, said that War and Peace was his favorite book. What was his favorite quote from the book? A, nothing is so necessary for a young man as the company of intelligent women. B, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. Or C, I could not, would not on a boat, I could not, would not with a goat. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm trying to think what Michael Steele might have said. Surely he didn't say it was the best of times, worst of times, because that's from Dickens. Uh, unless, unless, he up. unless, <laughs> yeah, <that's, laughs> which is unless. Okay, I'm going with. He said it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Your instinct is right, Senator Warren. Oh. Yes, He said it was the best of times and mm. the worst of times. Okay. You're right. Two okay. for two. Okay. Here's your last question. Leo Tolstoy died at age 82 in a Russian train station. After taking ill on the train, why was he on the train? A, he was on his way to receive an award as Russia's greatest living writer. B, he was running away from his wife. C, he was doing research for his new book, War and Trains. <laughs> I'm going to go with A. You think he was on his way to receive an award as Russia's greatest living writer? Yes. He was actually running away from his wife. I guess that's one way to win an argument. Bill, how did Elizabeth <laughs> Warren do on the quiz? Senator, you got two of three, and that's a two-thirds majority. You're a winner. Oh, Thank you so much for joining us on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. We really had a great time with you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This is fun. Take care. Uh, Bye. <laughs> Now it's time to draw names for Secret Santa. Why, look, Bill, turns out we got the audience. Do we have anything to give them? Why, I happen to have something that's perfect for a re-gift. It's a Christmas-themed question we put to our panel. That's never aired before. And no, it doesn't come with a gift receipt. Maeve, <laughs> yeah. luxury lovers are feeling burned this year after they spent over $800 on a supposedly high-end what from the fashion house of Chanel? Oh. Uh, is it a handbag? It is not a handbag. Mm, a dog, a designer dog. <laughs> yeah, that was a really big thing in yes, the pandemic. Chanel, the little black pug. <laughs> Oh, 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 the branding. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know that they've moved into live creatures. <laughs> but <laughs> I'll give you a hint. Okay. The mo people are most excited to see what's behind little cardboard door number five, of course. Oh, yes. Oh, the, um, oh my God, what's the name of that thing again? Before coming up to the holidays? Yes. And every single day, 
You What's open it. Be? You, exactly. Will, will my father come home? Whatever. Like, you Yeah. Dark. Wow. Yeah, but you know, it's like what I mean is like something you've been wishing for every single day. Maybe will be behind the door. I think it was that that was the advent calendar in that Joy short story. It's very sad. I'm sorry. I just said the word. It's a yes. I'll give it to you. It's an advent calendar. You fell right into Maeve's trap. I did. Damn it. You fooled me again, Higgins. So smart. Yes, it's the Chanel advent calendar. Mm. It looked fancy at $800. You'd think it would be fancy, but Mm. while some of the doors open, you know, little advent doors open to reveal like a little perfume or a tiny little bit of lipstick, others open to just have like keychains or stickers. Ugh. One door had a little bag that said Chanel number five on it. You're like, oh, finally some perfume. No, nothing in the bag, just a little bag. It's weird to say, but I'm beginning to think an $800 advent calendar from a perfume company is not the ideal way to celebrate the birth of Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) And famously, baby Jesus used to say, I wear Chanel number five, just Chanel number five. (laughs) (laughs) What he meant, what what that is supposed to mean, that's like something a woman says to try and be sexy. Right. Oh, you knew that. Okay. What? But I believe it goes like, yes, I'm wearing Chanel number Number five five. and nothing else. Oh, yes. (laughs) Yeah, that's okay. Thank you, Peter, my sensual guide. Um, Wow. That's what baby Jesus used to say. (laughs) Mother, father, God, I'm wearing Chanel number five. And just, oh no, what was it? <laughs> that you are so sexy right now. You are so sexy and, right now. And nothing else. I can't believe you're single, Maeve. Really. <laughs> not after this, not after this powerful um, set of sentences. I'll try on the plane home. Hello, officer. I'm wearing. <laughs> This message comes from NPR sponsor Capital One. Ready for a new ride but not sure where to start? Try the tool designed to make car shopping and financing easier. With Capital One Auto Navigator, you can find a car and get pre-qualified instantly. Then, see your real rate and monthly payment without impacting your credit score. It's so simple, you might feel like you're taking the easy way out. That's because you are. Capital One, what's in your wallet? Terms and conditions apply. Find out more at CapitalOne.com slash Autonavigator. Finally, in May, we got a chance to talk to Simone, the winner of season 13 of RuPaul's Drag Race and aficionado say, the greatest competitor in the history of that show. Peter asked her if there was a big drag scene in the city where she grew up, Little Rock, Arkansas. There was, it was a pretty good drag scene, but it was very pageant, as you could probably imagine. And so um, not really my gig, but I learned a lot from the girls, but that wasn't my path. What do you mean pageant? Pageant, it's like, you know, very like, like there is a gay Miss America, there is a gay US of A, like it's like a pageant and girls go and they compete, there's swimwear, there's, you know, that Q&A, like it's a pageant, but with drag queens, honey. Right. And what was the version that you were more attracted to? I was just, I wanted to be... A, a model, a woman. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, sure. for lack of a better term, that's what I wanted. I just, it was a lot of money for a one out of 50 chance of winning. Right. You just, you just wanted to skip right to the part just, you get when you win and just yeah. be the star. Yeah. Maybe I, that. So was there a big drag scene in Arkansas when you were growing up there? I would say Simone is me. I would say Simone is who I didn't let myself be when I was a kid. You know, sure. very, very expressive, very, um, just happy, effervescent, if you will, and sure. just 
happy to be here. Gorgeous, stunning. Out. All of <laughs> that goes without question. If only, if only all our listeners could be on you Zoom. You are with gorgeous here. and stunning. Thank you. Thank you. I, I, yeah. as, as, as I think I have made clear intentionally or not, I am somewhat new to the world of drag. And I wanted to mm. ask you about some drag lingo that I okay. have no idea what any of this means. Okay. Snatched. Snatched. That means that one of two things, actually. Some girls, they are snatched. You know, like the makeup is good. The makeup is there. Your face is beat. Another word for beat, really. Or you could be snatched in the sense of, you know, some girls, they'll tape back the your temples for and you'll yeah. be snatched so you could the makeup can be snatched and then you can literally be snatched in the face right oh i see so but snatched <laughs> is good snatch is good Snatch is very good what does serving face mean serving face so serving face means kind of like you are beat and you're giving it to the camera like so you're just serving face darling giving them all the all the Everything wow. that's here. You just served Peter so much face <laughs> that he's going to have to take some of it to go. Right. <laughs> to go. It is a delight to talk to you, Simone, but we have, in oh, fact, invited you. you here to play a game we're calling Lip Sync Meet Fix Sync. Oh, child. You are brilliant, as we discussed <laughs> at the fine art of lip syncing. So we thought we'd ask you about kitchen sinks and the people who fix them. That is plumbers. So if you answer two out of three questions correct about the plumbing arts, you will win our prize for one of our listeners, the voice of anyone they choose for their voicemail. Bill, who is Simone playing for? Grace Jensen of San Francisco, California. All right, here's your first question. Plumbers are on call 365 days a year, but one South Florida plumber had an emergency call on Thanksgiving. Why? A, a homeowner didn't know what to do with her turkey carcass, so she flushed it down the toilet. B, apparently the guy was a hunk and somebody needed the date for their family's Thanksgiving. Or C, as the customer put it, quote, my brother-in-law's coming over and I need you on standby. I'm going to go with B. He needed day, And I was like, huh, I'll call my plumber. I like your thinking, but in fact, it was A, that the homeowner had this turkey carcass, didn't know what to do with it. You're kidding. Flushed it down the toilet. This is not a problem. Just like on RuPaul's Drag Race, you might have screwed up, but you still have a chance to win it all. Next question. Plumbers okay. sometimes have hidden talents beyond just unclogging your drain, as proven by a plumber in Alaska. Who did what? A, invented ranch dressing. B, personally mothered an orphan flock of herons. Or C, (laughs) he was a notable tenor at the Juno Lyric Opera. Hmm. I'm going to go with C. You're going to go with, you know, I'm just going to say, that's just too straightforward for our show. The answer has been hidden to you so far, but you may find it. Hidden Valley, so so A, was it the ranch? Yes, it was. It was the ranch. Yes. Yes, oh you invented ranch dressing. Wow. Last question. If you get this right, you win. Uh, Roy, okay. Roy Regal was the name of a plumber who passed away in 2017, and he so loved his job that he requested what <laughs> as a tribute? A, that instead of a typical funeral, his body should be fed down a garbage disposal. <laughs> B, that the Roto-Rooter company change its name to Roto-Roy Regal. Or C, that his ashes be flushed in the toilets of every major league baseball stadium. I'm going to say C. That's exactly right. Yes. That's it? It's it. That's what he did. He was a big baseball fan. And according to his best friend, that mission of having some of his ashes flushed in a toilet in every one of the 30 baseball stadiums, Major League, was accomplished. Wow. Good for him. Isn't it great? Bill, how did Simone do in our quiz? 
What a winner. She got two out of three, and that means you have snatched it away. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Bill, yes. Simone is a drag icon, activist, and the most recent winner of RuPaul's Drag Race. Simone, congratulations on everything. You are fabulous and deserving, and thank you so much for being on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Thank you guys so much for having me. I had such a great time. Thanks a lot. Thank Take you. care, Simone. That's it for our Merry Christmas Holiday Spectacular. We're off to find out what the hell wassail is, but before we go... Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me is a production of NPR and WBEZ Chicago in association with Urgent Haircut Productions, Doug Berman, Benevolent Overlord. Philip Gotika writes our limericks, our social media superstars, Anna Choi. BJ Liederman composed our theme. Our program is produced by Jennifer Mills, Miles Dornboss, Lillian King, and Nancy Seychell. A round little belly that shakes like a bowl full of jelly is Peter Gwynn. Technical direction is from Lorna White. Her business and ops manager is Colin Miller. Our production manager is Robert Newhouse. Our senior producer is Ian Chillog. And the executive producer of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me is Mike Danforth. Thanks to everybody you heard today, all of our panelists, all of our wonderful guests, and of course, the inimitable Bill Curtis. Thanks to all of you for listening. I am Peter Sagal. We'll be back next week. This is NPR.